Hello, Ash. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. Hello, Bobby the Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here today. I, um, I'm excited to have you on. We're going to talk about something pretty sensitive, but I think it's important for my audience to get, get educated on anything, actually, especially addiction-related, and you're going to talk about what it's like to be married to a sex addict, which I'm pretty sure that a lot of your experiences are similar to what maybe a gambler's spouse is like, or there's a lot of crossover in addiction. So there might be compulsive gamblers that quit gambling, that evolve into sex addicts. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of value to what we're going to talk about today. So I'm pretty excited. Well, I'm excited to uh, get get my perspective out there as, you know, somebody on the other side. So we'll see uh, if it helps anybody. Great. Well, why don't you start us off with a little introduction, tell people what you want them to know about yourself before we dig into the crazy stuff. Well, I wish I was more interesting than probably what, <laughs> what I think I am. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just a normal woman. I, I don't come from a, uh, a past of much trauma, I guess you could say. So I don't, I think sometimes when people are on, um, are with an addict of any sort, this word codependence gets thrown around like crazy and it, it can really bring up some like feelings of shame and stuff like that and go, Oh, well, what happened to you as a child for you to be married to somebody like XYZ. And while there's certainly some experiences in the past that go, okay, well, maybe I can see this or that, you know, I I think that I had a pretty relatively normal upbringing with a really great family full of really strong women and strong women influences in my life, like yourself and your mother. And um, so I just, I guess that's what I want to say as like a foreword to people. Like there's not, not one thing that happens in life for you to land with an addict. Just life happens. I love that. I think, I think what people need to hear is out of what you just said is that we shouldn't blame ourselves for being in those. Absolutely. That's a great, absolutely. That's like a big, big thing that I think like a lot of uh, people, I guess on the, L non side of things have to work through is like that shame and that what did I do for them to do this? And it's nothing that I did. This is the choices that they've made and a part of the disease of addiction, really. Do you mind telling us how, how this came to a head or what your experience has been? What did it, you know, look like maybe leading up to it? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of factors, I guess, and there was a lot of red flags. So I guess I, you know, starting at the beginning, we had, you know, a lot of fun together, a lot of laughs together, very lighthearted. Obviously, it moved into something more serious and we got married. But hindsight 2020 always is that there were a lot of red flags, you know, photos that I happened to come across or, um, very secretive surrounding phones, you know, never leaving your phone right side up. It always had to be down when you got a message coming through or, 
you know, oh, I'm going to run to the bathroom real quick with phone in hand, stuff like that, that you just go, okay, whatever. And then there was an awareness of porn usage, but to the extent I had no clue. So as the years progressed, it would be like, oh, I found out that he had cheated in the beginning of our relationship. Well, we were only one month together. So it was kind of like, yes, that hurt. And it really was upsetting that he lied about it because I found out a year after we were married. But I kind of gave him the grace of going, well, we really weren't that serious together. The lie was the biggest problem. At that point, the whole cheating thing to me was like, well, whatever. Because like I said, we'd only been one month dating. So that was the justification that I made in my head. I was more mad about the lie and the hiding it than anything. And then as we progress a little more, it's like, you know, just like I said, just red flags, just those gut feelings that I think as humans, but not to be sexist here, but I think that women are very intuitive to certain things. We're very, you know, we get that feeling in our gut and sometimes we can't pinpoint what it is. But I would get those feelings a lot. I would get these waves of being like uncomfortable and things like that. And then these signs started showing up, you know, um, we would be intimate and it would be like, there would be raw marks on his member, I guess you could say. And I'd go, oh, what's that from? And it's like, oh, I didn't have any lube when I was masturbating. Well, how much are you masturbating to be harming yourself? physically at that point, you know, so it would be stuff like that. And then it, it would come, you know, he would get caught for something and, and he'd go, Oh, I was just flirting or, you know, and, and one time I found out that he was sending photos of himself and receiving photos of sexually explicit photos with people on the internet, people from Craigslist, people from, you know, all of these things. And I'm going, what the fuck? And I, you know, he got busted and he's so sorry. He'll never do it again. Then I have full access to his phone and this and that. And I thought it had stopped. So we went a year and I thought, okay, he really stopped. He's trying. Well, fast forward, um, two years later. And I found out that he's sleeping with my neighbor and that for the last six years of our relationship, he had been consistently sleeping with coworkers, prostitutes, neighbors, anybody that was willing and receiving, he would. I mean, even one time he got picked up by a bu- at a bus stop and had oral sex with somebody. And this, so this was our entire marriage. This wasn't a one and done. It wasn't, oh, I was drunk and I made a mistake. It was consistently seeking out sex any, in any type of way that he could receive it from any type of person that he can receive it with. Wow. Can you, yeah. can you, do you mind sharing how you found out? Like the official, this oh, is going on? So at the time we had had a roommate and this woman was, not close to us, but she had been around me, my daughter, my son. Obviously, she spent a lot of time around my husband. And um, our roommate was up there and she spilled the beans to our roommate. Well, our roommate worked with my little brother. And so he told my little brother. 
and my little brother at 19, I think he was 19 or 20, had to confront my husband and say, look, mother effer, you're going to tell my sister, I'm going to tell her, which, what's the choice? And so I had been at work. It was a closing shift. I was, it was about eight o'clock at night. I was getting ready to come home and I get a phone call from my husband and he's crying and he goes, just know that I love you. I love you. I'm so sorry. I love you. And I'm going, what's going on? Are you okay? Is the baby okay? Cause he was at home with my daughter. She was a baby at the time. And I'm thinking that somebody's died. So I'm flying home and I get out of the car and he's waiting for me outside, which was very unusual. His mother was visiting at the time too. So she was here when all of this is going down. Um, Oh, my heart is racing thinking about this. Um, so I, I get home and he's waiting for me outside and I looked at him and I said, what's going on? And he couldn't speak. And I said, you cheated on me again, didn't you? And he said, yeah. And I said, with who? And he told me the woman's name. And I just came unglued. I mean, I came unglued. And so this is one part of the reveal, okay, is finding out about the neighbor. Now at this time, I didn't know everything. I just thought, okay, he cheated on me the once, we had the photo thing, and now we have the neighbor. So as this starts to progress over a period of the next month, I left. I actually um, stayed for a couple days. I lost it. I had to be hospitalized for suicidal ideation. Um, because it just destroyed me, it, you know, I just, the loss of self-worth that you feel when you go through something like this is unlike anything that I've ever experienced. I've been fired. I've been estranged from family members. I have been, you know, best friend broken up with, but I've never experienced the level of physical, mental, emotional pain that I dealt with. I've had two kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think I'm pretty tough, you know, but it just, it, it was, uh, it was unlike anything else. I couldn't handle it, went to the hospital, got help. And then I went to stay with my little brother for a few days too, um, trying to work through it. And, um, yeah. So then, you know, I, I chose to go back to my marriage, but a part of the agreement was, and I had started, sorry to backtrack a little bit, but in, in that time at my brother's house, I had started journaling. I had started researching sex addiction. I don't know what it was. Again, that intuitive, that gut feeling, but I started researching this and listening to uh, podcasts and stuff like that. And <clears throat> more and more as I'm listening, I'm going, okay, check check the box there, red flag there, do that there. Again, all hindsight in 20, 2020, but I'm going, oh shit, I think that I'm married to a sex addict. And so when him and I had chatted and, and we agreed to go back, I agreed to, to stay in our marriage. Um, I, one of the, the deals was you will give me a full disclosure of everything. Every single time, every single person, every single picture, I need you to be fully honest so that way I 
can make the decision if I really want to stay and work through this. And so that way you can be accountable for the shit that you have done. That's it's so like, cool. what step is that? Is that the fourth step? <laughs> Inventory? Yes. So that's, that was a big one for me. The problem comes in is that it would be like a slow leak. And most, um, from what I understand, I'm not certified, I'm not a, a therapist. So this is just from my understanding from the research that I did, is that it's better to do it in one day and get it all done and do it with your therapist, have a safe space for both of you to go to afterwards. If you can't be together, make sure there's somebody there to care for your children because you're going to be wrecked. Unfortunately, we didn't do it that way. It was a month long process. It was very drawn out. And the reason why that it was a month long is because he would disclose a little bit. Again, that gut feeling would kick in and I'd go, that's not it. And then he disclosed more. And finally, it was the threat of, listen, there are places in therapists that use lie detector tests for this. Are you willing to take a lie detector test? No means you're hiding it still. Yes means you've got it all out still. And he was very much teeter-tottering. Oh, I'll do it, but I'm scared to do it. Well, if you've told me the whole truth, why are you so scared? right? Yeah. So then finally, it was all out after a month, every dirty secret, every skeleton that he had in his closet. And it was just the sex and the women and whatever. It was also cocaine use. It was also alcohol abuse. It was also um, uh, ecstasy, a lot of other substances in there along with the sex. So it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. I think I recently, just this week, there's, there's two people that I know are keeping secrets still. They might have, um, we'll call it clean time, for lack of a better word, but they might be away from a bet or their habit or whatever, and there's still parents that don't know the whole story, children that don't know the whole story. Maybe they told their spouses, um, and I get it, I get if it was little kids, they might not want to tell them everything, but I was really surprised to hear that. And like I said, I heard it twice just in the last, you know, couple of days. And my view on that is it's not healing. You can't heal and get through it. So you just described a really rough month, but I imagine it was a good foundation. Like you can't move forward until you come clean with everything, in my opinion. Oh, I, I cannot tell you how much I agree with that because for him too, it was hard for him to work through it because there's a lot of shame, which as an addict, you know, you know, the big S, um, there was a lot of shame for him to admit all of that to me on a few different levels. It's the shame of what he did. And then it's that, you know, he doesn't want to hurt me. I don't think at any point throughout any of the stuff that he was doing that his intention was to hurt me. I think he's a sick man. I think he has a disease. Um, <clears throat> so he had to work through that too, where I'm going, yes, it's hurting me. Of course it's freaking hurting me, but I need to know. It almost became obsessive. You can just tell me everything. And then there was 
I remember it perfectly. It was on Halloween. It was right before we took the kids trick-or-treating. He told me the worst of the worst, what he felt was the worst secret. And it was like a blow. I mean, I physically felt like somebody had punched me in my gut to the point where I'm like retching. Thank God. And I just want to PSA this here, but it had nothing to do with children. It was just, again, the pain of all of it just combined, you know. Um, after that moment of pain came, there was this also sense of relief. Like my body felt for like that last month or so, probably, I'd say more month and a half, really. My body felt like I'd been holding my body in a fist. I was so tense that I hurt all the time. Whether we were talking about this, I would wake up hurting, I would go to bed hurting, I'd be at work hurting. It, I was just so tense. And then when he got that last little bit out, it was like whew, relief almost. It was like, okay, that's it. That's, that is the worst of it. That's it. Okay. Now what do we do? It so was just kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. It was just such a weird sensation. I felt free almost by his confession. All I could relate it to is like, you know, somebody's on trial for a murder and the murderer confesses to the crime and then the families get some sort of like relief, right? That's almost what it felt like. It was also vindication almost or validation for all of the times that I had felt crazy or I was being crazy to hear, nope, you're fucking around. You made me feel crazy, but my intuition was right. It was always on always. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I want to say funny, but not funny. It's, it's like funny, scary, how much truth there is to that. And I don't, I believe in intuition and have experienced what you're saying. And it's, I think as human beings, we want to be good human beings, good partners. We want to give the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And it sucks to not be able to trust someone like trust is the foundation or should be again, my humble little opinion. Like what's the point if you can't trust the other person? Yeah, that's definitely something that you kind of come into and have to battle after that. And I'll be honest, I mean, we're almost two years, two years in October or well, two years in September is my D-Day. So we're almost two years out. And while it is better than it was, that trust factor, I don't think, you know, and only, like I said, I can only speak for my, my experience with a sex addict, but that trust thing, it takes a long time to rebuild. It's not as easy as like, okay, you told me the truth, back at it again for him or for me. Right. You know, it's a lot of work. That's, that's the same in, in the gambling arena too. At group yesterday, we were just talking about this and I told them, I said, there's someone that I knew in one of my game, you know, my GA communities. And I think he had eight or nine years clean and he was like a big representative in, in the GA world. And his wife still only let him have, you know, five bucks and he still had to call and check in and be accountable. Yeah after eight or nine years. So I imagine it's pretty hard to build back in. I, yeah. 
I give you a lot of credit for staying and trying to work through it. Do you, can, I don't even know if you know the answer to this, but do you know what drove that decision for you? There was a few factors, you know, oh, hate to sound cliche, but you know, I have kids. My, my daughter is his and, and she's so young and I, a part of me wanted her to have that family thing. And then kind of backtracking with that too, a little bit. I also know that I'm badass and I can take care of her and my son on my own. I don't need anybody. I had great examples of that throughout my life with the women in my life. But I did, I wanted to give it a fighting chance for her too, to have a family unit. And you could have family units in all different ways, but that was a part of it. Another big part of it was the fact that after the dust settled and I had time to really think about it, I tried to look at it through this perspective of if the sex addiction wasn't there, what was my life like? What was my marriage like? How did he treat me? Do I feel loved by him? Did I, I should say, did I feel loved by him before I knew the truth of everything? And I did have a good life and I did always feel loved and cherished by him. I always felt sexy with him or beautiful with him. He never, throughout our marriage, of course, we've had fights and things get ugly from time to time. But he, I never didn't feel loved by him. Now, battling that after you know what's happening is a whole different story, right? It's like you got to look at them like two different people, this person who's an addict and this person who is he himself. And when I looked at who he was, I just was like, this is not a person that I want to lose if and only if he is willing to fight for himself and he is willing to fight for his addiction, to battle his addiction. That was the big, that was the big line there, line in the sand. But I love him. I still love him. I loved him through it. You know, if somebody gets cancer, you don't walk away from them because it's, you're going to see them die, right? Yeah. That's kind of one of the things that I had in my head. You still love this person. And I think that it's for any addict, for a lot of addicts. And that's why ding, 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 Al-Anon is so important, in my opinion, to people in these situations. because. I call this, this phase that we're in right now, I feel, uh, how, I don't know how I want to word it. I want to be with him, but there are times where I have to lovingly detach from him. And that's, I think, something that you learn as you go, <clears throat> excuse me, as you go through this. Hmm. But I loved him, still love him. I fully believe wholeheartedly that he loves me. Um, and that's really, that was the main decision that it came down to. If I'm looking at him without this addiction, is he somebody that I want to be with, that I love, that I want to commit to? And the answer to all three is yes. You mentioned Al-Anon. And I think we know that that's kind of support for people who are dealing with alcoholics or drinking issues. Are there resources like that be yeah. for sex addiction? There is. I mean, there's a variety of different ones. The ones that I <clears throat> attended was S Anon. So and that's for sex addicts, you know, 
people who are married or in relationships or parented, whatever, anybody who's been affected by sex addiction is welcome there. So you have S anon. There's other ones too, and I don't, I, I'm not very schooled on the names of them, but you know, there's love addiction support groups. There's things like that that it's a whole world. It's not just about sex only. It's you can be addicted to love. You can be addicted to a lot of things in that realm, which yeah. is really interesting to learn and hear about. What do you use as a way to cope both maybe during the peak parts of this, you know, as we're talking about the fact there's support groups. So maybe then when it was first happening, you mentioned um, a therapist. Can you speak to if you guys ever went to one? Yeah. And then what coping looks like today? How does your, what does your everyday look like as far as your relationship goes mm -hmm. to rebuild it? Or I don't, I don't know the right terms, rebuild it, maybe the right term. Yeah. So um, one of the major things was that I did almost immediately after I got out of the hospital was look for a um, individual therapist for myself. Um, he, he actually was an addiction specialist therapist. He wasn't a sex addict addiction therapist, but he was a therapist that specialized with addiction and also trauma recovery, trauma betrayal recovery. So I actually ended up getting diagnosed with PTSD, which is, it's really, um, that was a tough one for me because I'm like, well, I've never been to war. I'm not a soldier. But when you learn more about PTSD and how it can affect you, it's a whole nother thing that you can dive into at some point. Um, but I was dealing with a lot that, a lot of the typical stuff that you hear about with PTSD. There would be a song on the radio. I didn't listen to the radio for almost six months because all of the songs are so sexually explicit and, and stuff like that, that it would just immediately make my mind go, go there. I couldn't drive by the apartments that we used to live in. We moved one month after I found out about this. I couldn't, my daughter's daycare is on the way. It, you have to drive directly past them to get to my daughter's daycare. I still, it's almost two years and I still have a hard time picking her up and dropping her off. Um, just because I know that that woman's there. You know what I'm saying? And that was a site for a lot of other stuff once I found out. Um, so I was dealing with things like that. I would mood swings and sleeplessness. I didn't eat. You know, I think I lost 10 pounds in, in like less than a week or something like that. I mean, it was really, um, it was really bad. Every time I would start to eat, I would start to think about everything. It was really, it was really, really challenging. So going to therapy, working through stuff with my therapist, I ended up going on medication for depression and anxiety. Um, which I think is very effective when you mix that with talk therapy, you know, you can go somewhere and they can give you pills, but if you're not working through the deep rooted issues, you're not going anywhere. Um, happy to say I've been off the pills for eight months now, you know, it just really got me through the worst of it. And that was really, really great. Um, that's a great, that's a great other point. I don't, I want to slow down for that because I'm, I'm not a, I, I'm not a fan of pills being the solution. So I like how you just pointed out it was a tool for a period of time, not yeah. something to depend on forever. 
absolutely. I mean, it's like a nicotine patch, right? You wear it for a few weeks and then you take it off, you know, you just can't, it, in my opinion, again, this is my humble opinion. I just don't, you know, the pills are a bandaid. They help you from bleeding out. So, um, so we did that. And then with my husband, um, we did find a sex addiction therapist to do marriage counseling with us. And so, so you went to the therapist and meds and we were talking about what other coping skills have helped both, I guess, in the beginning of the situation coming to a head. And then maybe if you could bring us through now. Yeah. So like I said, I did the individual therapist medication, um, did a lot of journaling at that time, a lot, a lot of, uh, self-educating. Um, so whether it was through podcasts, whether it was through reading books, um, I did a lot of that and he did too. My husband did too. We went to couples therapy, did some EMDR sessions, which was really helpful for both of us. What is um, EMDR? EMDR is, oh God, I can't, I'm trying to think of how, basically what it is, is you know, your brain has two sides. Well, you store trauma in one side of your brain and sometimes it gets stuck. And so EMDR is this process where you have your eyes closed, you have headphones on and you have these paddles in your hands. And sometimes they use a light bar. So sometimes you're tracking the light or whatever. And essentially what it does is it helps move your brain, your the trauma from one side of your brain to another. So that way at a certain point, you can reflect on these traumatic events without being pushed into trauma, trauma mode, I guess, if that makes sense. So we're now, I can talk about this now, whereas before I couldn't talk about this without crying, without getting really angry, without having a visceral reaction to it. So now I can talk about things and go, yeah, that really fucking sucked, but here we are. It, it helps you move along, I guess, is the best way that how I understand it. Okay. So we did that. Um, there was a lot of accountability that had to happen, a lot of uh, painful truths that had to happen. That was kind of hard. You know, the big, another big thing for me was setting up and maintaining a lot of boundaries with him. And maybe as an addict, you might be able to relate to this, but addicts love to push boundaries, in my opinion, (laughs) you know, see how far we can go. Um, And so it was a lot of like, this is my boundary and I have to maintain it. And I'd never been good at that prior to this. And that's, again, where Essanon has helped me is going, what is a boundary that I can control without controlling him? Okay, so... It's like, you know what, if you want to go sleep with that girl, go ahead. But this is what's going to happen on my end if if you go through with that, you know. And I think sometimes that makes people step back and go, okay, is that something that I want to risk? Right. But you're so, in their hands. It's, yeah, it's, the choice is always in his hands. Yeah. The choice always was. It always will be. Um, all I can control is my side what I do in response to it, how much power I give it. Um, 
a big thing, I think, in the first year after discovering something like this, whether you stay with that person or you leave, is figuring out how to get your power back. That's a really tough one because you, you know, for me, you will obsess. You will beat yourself up. You will beat them up. You will do all of this stuff. And, and then once you get to that point where, again, you take your power back and you go, I'm going to set up steps for me to be safe. And this is how I do it. So one of these examples was because he spent a lot of money on prostitutes, we don't share a bank account anymore. He does not have access to any of the money that I earn. But he has to be transparent with his bank account statements. So that way, if I look and I see trends that I saw before, I can go, okay, let's talk about this. What's going on here? That is such an amazing nugget. I've, I've heard a lot of things in, in our environment about tools in the toolbox to help with um, the finances when it comes to gambling and everything. And you just, you just gave a solution that I've never heard out loud before. We talk about usually handing over the finances, but if it couldn't get there, protecting the spouse, that's brilliant. Yeah. So thank you for that. Well, and it also came to a point too, where it's like, again, my experience, I don't want to fucking babysit. I don't want, I have two kids. I did not marry one to have a third. Right. And you know what? Again, a part of addicts in recovery or my experience with my addict in recovery is the lack of responsibility. I mommied him for so long. Okay, I'll set up the bill payments. I'll do this. I'll go grocery shopping. Oh, oh, oh. all you have to do is lay there and love your life. No, <laughs> fuck that. I'm done with that. We're not doing that anymore. It's time for you to grow up. And so that was one of the main reasons with the bank account thing that I went, I don't, I don't want to babysit. I don't want to do this. And so again, leaving that choice in his hands, okay, are you recovering? Or are you not? What are you doing? What choices are you going to make? And you're okay. If you had to walk away, you would be okay if he breaks one of those boundaries. And I mean, okay, I'm using loosely, but are you committed to, if you yes. have I will never, it's kind of cool. My mom, my mom is a, is a gem. She's a really smart lady. But one of the things I remember my very first heartbreak at 16 years old, she said, you'll never feel this pain again. Isn't that amazing? And she was right, right? In a lot of ways. And so I think that something that's been liberating for me is going, yeah, it's going to freaking hurt like hell if he does this. If I've, committed to this if I've done you know if I've been keeping my end of the street clean my side of the street clean and and trying to do what I have to do to heal myself to have this healthy relationship it would really suck if he relapsed and you know what he has relapsed not physically but with porn use he has and we did have boundaries in place where it was like okay you know what now now I need access to your phone and because I didn't want to do that, again, I didn't want to do the babysitting. There's a lot of technology that I could be tracking his every movement. One of the ones that we do have is like we share Google Maps. I can see where he's at. So that way, if I ask him, what job location are you at right now? I can go on and see if he's really there. That was something that I did a lot in the beginning. Now, I don't do that. Um, but 
like when we had the porn relapse thing, it was like, okay. And we had talked about all of these boundaries prior, right? When we were at therapy. So what is a healthy boundary? So if he relapses, what do I need to feel safe? Okay, I need you to not touch me. No physical contact for a period of time. Or you know what? We're not gonna sleep in the same bedroom for a period of time. There's certain things like that that we kind of put in place. The big one is, is if it gets physical, I'm done. And the other big one is, is if you don't come to me and come clean within a certain period of time and I have to search it out or if I find out on my own, that's the end of the marriage because you are not keeping yourself accountable. Wow. And that's it. I mean, it, they sound harsh, but it's also very liberating to know like, I'm going to be okay. I survived the worst of the worst. Okay. Like, I love you, honey. Sorry. <laughs> the kids want to say, I love you. Well, it sounds like you're being very brave and I love the boundary piece and I love that you're committed to sticking with them and that it gives you freedom. Those, that's all amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to really think about it. It's, you know, obviously, like I said, there would be a lot of pain. I fully recognize that there would be pain if I had to walk away, but I have money saved and put away that he doesn't have access to, to make sure that I have a home to live in. If this goes down, I have resources ready and available to me at any point in time. And it's sad. Some days I get sad to think about that. That's what I have to do. But then again, in reality, I think it's something that everybody should do, no matter what situation you're in. Even if you're in a relationship and you're not with a sex addict, it's like, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So just having steps in place, it, it does really bring a lot of comfort. That's another hugely valid point, And I hope that people let that sink in and... Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not a big fan of like a prenup or anything to that extreme, but it is good to know that you could take care of yourself. Not everybody was built that way. So what you no. Said. And I certainly wasn't. I mean, when this all came down, I wasn't, Yeah, you know, we had the joint account and you know, I didn't have anything ready to go at all. Cause I never thought that this would be my life. Yeah. Yeah. How do you predict you know, that? You so don't. What would you say to a woman or I guess a man, this could happen to men too. Yeah, it does. So what would you say to someone out there that thinks that like that might be having that intuition or if they found out that their partner was a sex addict? Um, geez, that's a good question. I, would say to them, first and foremost, the truth always comes out. Might take a day, might take an hour, might take a year, but it will come out. Nothing stays hidden forever. Um, so if your intuition is telling you something, follow it. Don't ignore it. You know, it, it might be there, it might not be there. But I would uh, definitely have some honest conversations with yourself and with your partner and go, okay, what, what is happening in my relationship to make me feel this way? Why am I picking up these signals? And if you, you know, I mean, I hate to be, you know, that person that goes, well, invade their privacy, but 
sometimes, sometimes you have to look for it. Sometimes it doesn't slap you in the face like it did for me. Um, and then if you do find out that this is what's going on with your partner, I highly suggest looking into uh, marriage counseling, sex therapists, but really, really make sure that you are finding somebody that specializes in betrayal trauma for the person who's been hurt. And for the addict, definitely a sex addiction therapist is really, really needed because it's a very unique, a very unique addiction. It's not, not something that all modes are all, you know what I mean? It's very, it's very deep rooted. Um, in my opinion, again, this is all my opinion. I'm not a doctor. Um, and then, yeah, start getting boundaries put up, start, start getting plans put in place and don't, one of the biggest things that I just, maybe I'm going off the rail a little bit here, but if you decide to stay in your marriage and both parties want to work on it, and let me tell you, if the other person's not going to work on it, it's, you're, you're setting yourself up for a life of misery. Okay. You both have to be committed to healing, change, and growth. You both have to be committed to rigorous honesty. Um, it, it's, it will not be easy. It's not going to be sunshine and rainbows once you decide you want to stay together. There's a lot that happens. But I'm speaking to the person who's been betrayed. Do not feel shamed if you decide to stay in your marriage. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're weak. If anything, it means that you're strong as hell because it is not easy to go through this and stay with the person. It is very easy to walk away, slam the door, F you, I'm done, bye. It's harder to lay next to somebody that's hurt you that way and still try to love them through it. So don't ever feel like you're weak. I hate that we have this thing in society that women who stay with cheaters are weak. That's not fucking true. We're strong. And especially when you get to that point where you know how strong you are, you also get to a point where you know how much less shit you're going to take. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Just wanted to put that out there. No, that's, that's good because I could see how it could go either way. Some people would want to leave because they oh, yeah. were hurt and whatever. And then some people would be afraid of being judged. Yep. If they do stay, but you could be judged for leaving. There's, there's so much and other people's opinions really don't matter. It has to be what you're comfortable with. Absolutely. And I, I'm not saying that people who walk away are weak either. You have to, again, do that rigor, rigor. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? You know, that real, that very honest, you have to take a very honest look at what you want and what's right for you. Sometimes it is better to walk away. You know, if he was abusing children, I wouldn't be able to stay. That's my, that's my line there where I just go, no, I wouldn't be able to work through that. I think that you have to really reflect on what can you work through? What can you process? So as we're talking about other people, is there anything that you would say? Cause I, I was not super close to the situation, but I do remember parts of it when it did explode. Um, mm -hmm. How would you tell people to handle their family? Like you said that your little brother was involved in this. Is there any advice that you would give regarding, you know, like moms, moms are protective just by nature. 
Um, yeah. Can you give any wisdom on that? You know, it's a tough one. That was a tough one. That was hard to navigate. I don't know that I did it as well as I probably could have handled it with my family. Um, for him, it was like, you need to be honest with your family. You need to tell them what's been going on. Because for years, again, with the crazy making, he gaslit for a long time. So he would do something messed up. And then he would make it look like I was the crazy one. Oh, she's so overbearing. She's nuts. This, that, this, that. And so his family had this idea of me that was all wrong for years. And then having that truth come out, they go, oh, we get it now. Right? So that was a part of it too. But with my family, it's hard for, it's easier for us to forgive somebody that does us wrong than it is for our family too. And again, two years later, we're still pretty rocky with the family. It's getting better. My mom came to accept me staying a little bit. I, I wouldn't say it's easy. It's not been easy for her. This, in all addictions, it's a family affair. It affects the whole family. My mom was just as heartbroken as I was. My brothers, who have idolized my husband for the last six, seven years, were heartbroken and devastated. It really, my, my father, that was his drinking buddy. They were partners in crime every time we'd go over for dinner, was heartbroken. It's hard. It's hard for them. I sometimes wish that I didn't disclose as many details, that I wasn't as honest, or that I didn't spew to my mother as much, my family as much as I did. We're also a very tight-knit family. I couldn't imagine keeping this secret from her. She was a great support system throughout this. And so was my brothers. So were my brothers. You know, they, they were my rocks that were ride or die, but they also really had a hard time accepting my decision to stay in the marriage. And I know that my brothers still struggle with that too. I think my mom is a little bit more like, I get it. Um, but the men in my family are still really having a hard time coping with that. And again, you just kind of get to a point where you got to do what's right for you. But as far as dealing with family, I think, I don't know. I, I really don't know. That's a tough one to navigate. I think you have to do what, what's right for you. And I think that if I were to do this all over again, I would have probably waited to make any decisions before I spoke to my family officially about anything. That's fair. You know what I mean? Just because just to save them from the pain, the aggravation, the confusion, they went through a lot of this with me. My little brother picked me up from the hospital. You know, he saw me get pulled away in an ambulance. That must've been very, I know that that was traumatizing for him. And he's still to this day having a hard time letting it go because he blames my husband. Right. You didn't do this. My sister wouldn't have been so hurt. You yeah. know, and I get that. I think that was good advice, though, to maybe not bring them in until you get your bearings in this. Yeah. Situation. I know I find people that wrong me. I'm, I'm kind of protective of them when it comes to sharing, um, you know, because the family does want to kick people's asses for hurting us. So. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's so ironic that I've married 
like somebody who's so keen on secrets, you know what I mean? Because I'm so an open book. I don't <laughs> like lying. I don't like secrets. I don't like any of that shit. So it's so, that's why it was really tough for me to navigate. Cause I'm like, why lie? Why hide anything? Why not just be honest? If you're honest, you don't have to remember things. <laughs> yes, very true. Okay. Um, my last couple questions were regarding um, gratitude and self-care. So can you tell us what you're grateful for and what practices you do for self-care today? So I'm grateful for a lot of stuff, Bobby. Um, grateful mostly for my family, of course. You know what I mean? That's That's been... And you're part of that circle, so you know. I mean, we love we love our family, and I'm really grateful. And I'm grateful today that I – today I'm really grateful for everything that happened. I'm grateful for my D-Day. I'm grateful that we are getting through it, you know. Um, it sounds – it's so weird to say that, but I'm grateful for that neighbor. It, I hate her. Don't get me wrong. I hate her. I hate the bitch, <laughs> but <laughs> – <laughs> you know, you know what, if it wasn't for her though, how much longer would have this been going on for? So thank you. I'll say that. Thank you. Um, so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the truth. I'm grateful for the pain because it taught me a lot. I'm grateful to be alive today because for a little bit there, I really didn't want to be. So those are my, those are my main things. And then as far as self-care, maintaining boundaries is definitely a form of self-care. I had found um, in the beginning, I started it again right after I got out of the hospital, but there's a great little girl on uh, YouTube called, she has a channel called Yoga with Adrian, and yoga has really, really changed my life in the last two years. I mean, I don't, <clears throat> I got to a point with this whole quarantine where I wasn't practicing as regularly as I should have, but I'm getting back into it. I've been doing yoga every day again, and that's such a great great way to love and respect your body and help clear your mind out. So that's, that's what I do for self-care a lot. Nice. Yeah. And I bought a bike because my friend Bobby the Awesome told me go buy a bike. <laughs> Who's so <laughs> you for buying a bike? <laughs> I tell you, it does the same thing as like what you just said with, with yoga. It's good for our bodies and our minds. And if you asked me, you know, did I ever think I'd be riding a bike on purpose for exercise? <laughs> I probably would have been like, yeah, no, not as an adult. But yeah, that's why I can't run, though. So the biking is a good middle ground. I won't run unless somebody's trying to kill me or a spider's chasing me. But I'll ride a bike for a little bit. Yeah, good. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate you sharing your story. It's very brave of you. The stuff that you said about the gratitude being grateful that it happened. I know I feel that way about my relapse and my journey and we wouldn't be sitting here hopefully sharing with other women and people that we can come out of the other side. Yeah. It's that's a really important message and live very good healthy lives. So I mean it is it's incredible like if I when I put myself back into that place 2 years ago or whatever I couldn't imagine having this conversation today and feeling good about my marriage and planning a future with my husband still, 
you know what I mean? We're, we're looking at buying a house. We're looking at starting a business. We're doing all of these things that a year and a half, two years ago, I would have just been like, you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah. You know, it's, an, it's incredible to have hope again and to have faith in him again and trust, build that trust up with him again. It's really, it's been great. Well, it sounds like you're both doing the work. So yeah, you deserve all that good stuff. The house, the new job. Um, yeah, you're, you're earning it essentially. Not that it should be just about earning it, but you definitely deserve it. No, I mean, it's hard work. It's not, you know, not at any point do I want people to think that we have like this picket fence marriage today, but I tell you with, with all of my heart, our marriage is better today than it was even before I found out everything. Yeah. We just, it's just the level of honesty that we have with each other. The level of commitment that we have to each other now is so different than what it was even before. It's, it takes a lot of work though. I still have days where I wake up, I have nightmares and I wake up mad and I want to fight him. You know, I still have moments of suspicion and, and things like that that are just kind of residual, but it's so great because we're at this place now where I can look at him and go, I'm feeling this way. And he goes, okay, what do we have to do? What do you need to feel good right now? What do you need to feel safe right now? And same with him, you know, hey, I kind of feel like you're struggling right now. And instead of telling me nothing, he can come to me now and say, I'm struggling with this. I was triggered by this or X, Y, Z. It's just, it's freaking not fun conversations, but it's great that we can have them. Absolutely. There's so much correlation between this and gambling addiction, at least that I can hear how it impacts relationships. So I hope that everybody got value from not only how to handle the addict in their life, but also bring some awareness to another behavioral addiction and show people that we can survive. They're, they're yep. surviving in there. So, well, I'm going to say goodbye if you don't have anything else. Nope. Thank you for this podcast, Bobby. I think it's awesome what you're doing. I'm super proud of you. Thank you, Ash. Trying to make me blush on air. (laughs) Oh, do it. (laughs) If you can't tell by our silliness, Ash and I go back a couple decades and I'm very proud of her and appreciate her being brave with her story. There is a lot of correlation between sex addiction and gambling addiction and I didn't realize how much even until this conversation the the lying the when we're talking about gambling we usually refer to gambling or the disease as our our girlfriend our secret girlfriend or secret boyfriend and I can't imagine that, to be honest having that be people or a person it's bad enough when it's bets, but I I just couldn't wrap my head around that. But I think that there was a lot of good recovery stuff in what Ashley said, the boundaries, the therapy, protecting the money, having a plan for the future. A lot of good things to think about there. I want to give a special thanks to the birds that were there for the entire interview as our background ambiance, I guess we can call it. Ash and I actually had recorded this interview about a month ago, and it was phenomenal. 
and I somehow messed up getting it. I don't know. It got lost on my stupid computer that I'm struggling with. So it was amazing that she did it again. All right, beautiful people. I hope that this was beneficial to you. Appreciate you listening. Have a marvelous day, beautiful people.